Walking in the power of a clean confession, of a perfect confession, is a beautiful place. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. 2 Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. You can be and must be perfect. I can hear the rancorous chorus. I guess you're perfect, right? Imagine that you can answer yes. Perfection can be defined as a born-again soul who has repented of all sins and forsaken them and has surrendered his life to the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Lest that sound bizarre, consider this analogy. In the apple orchard in the spring, a beautiful bud begins to form on the branches of the tree, a perfect little bud. God does not expect to harvest apples yet, but the bud is an integral part of the development of a mature apple. Soon the perfect little bud breaks forth into a blossom, a perfect little blossom, and still God does not expect to harvest apples. Next, the perfect blossom begins to form into a perfect little baby apple, a part of the ordained process. Finally, the apple grows and matures into a perfect, finished product, ready for the husbandman to harvest. But the ordained process was perfect at every single level of development, and so it is with the child of God. The blood of Jesus Christ and our commitment to him keep us in a perfect place. And when we fall along the way, it is crucial to know that when we repent and forsake our sin and recommit our ways unto the Lord, atonement is secured. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Have you found that power of the perfect place? Have you been born again? Are you a new creature in Christ Jesus? Jesus said, Be ye therefore perfect. How beautiful an idea! You can make this move now. Click on the Further with Jesus for childlike instructions and immediate entry into the kingdom of God, that perfect place. Now for today's subject. God said, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 12, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against these nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof, toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azale. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. 
And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be a king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. All the land shall be turned as a plain, from Geba to Rimon, south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place, from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Haniel unto the king's winepresses. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their hose, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. God said, Daniel chapter eight twenty three through 25, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the fool, a king of fierce countenance, and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand." Man said, these doomsday prophets make me laugh. There will be no doomsday and certainly no end of the world. Now the record. The awesome beauty of the prophecies of the word of God are unfolding before our very eyes. Fathom this. We may be the very generation that sees the end of the world as we know it. Prophecy is one of the four proof standards employed at God said, man said. Thousands of years before an event transpires, God declares it in his holy word. For many, these marvelous prophetic declarations are proof enough of the inerrant supernatural characteristics of God's word. Yet the staunch skeptic has devised mental workarounds and requires more, and there surely is more. When God's prophecies are subjected to the rigors of the statistical laws of probability— and the chances a mere man could accomplish such a feat. The numbers are so overwhelmingly in favor of God that the implausibility of unbelief is truly staggering. This is God Said, Man Said, feature article 534, where God's word in the majority text authorized King James Version is proven true and righteous altogether, time after glorious time. All of these features are archived in text and streaming audio. Every Thursday Eve, God willing, they grow by one. Welcome to God Said, Man Said. We look forward to your visit. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and your house with light and truth. There is a general foreboding, an uncertainty of foot in the world, a sense of dark trouble. It surely appears to many in the faith that the return of Jesus Christ to receive the church unto himself in the clouds is imminent, and all around this event is dark global trouble of unparalleled proportions. Listen to Matthew 24, 3 through 8. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. 
See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. We are looking at the beginning of sorrows. This is the 22nd feature in the series, The 21 Signs of Doomsday. If you have not considered this amazing information, we urge you to take the time to do so. Start with feature number one. We will list the entire series at the end of this article. Things are moving swiftly on the globe in regard to Israel. It is crucial to remember that the tiny nation of Israel is the central focus of the very battle of Armageddon and the end of the world as we know it, the ultimate sign of doomsday. God said, man said, subscribes to the weekly recap of the International Jerusalem Post, one of Israel's prime newspapers. To get a feel of what life is like for Israelis, we have lifted several paragraphs from the May 13 through 19, 2011 issue, so you can have a sense of what is happening there on the ground. These first paragraphs come from the feature, The PLO's Desperate Defenders, with the subhead, Otherwise intelligent people are willing to make absurd statements because they are in a state of panic. They realize that the Fatah-Hamas unity deal discredits the land for peace paradigm. End of quote. The feature was written by Caroline Glick. She writes, By most accounts, the Fatah-Hamas unity deal signing ceremony Wednesday was a grand affair. Hamas terror chief Khalid Mashal jetted in from Damascus. PLO Fatah Palestinian Authority Chief Mahmoud Abbas flew in from Ramallah. The ceremony was held under the auspices of the newly Muslim Brotherhood-friendly Egyptian Intelligence Services. UN representatives and Israeli Arab members of Knesset were on hand to witness the historic accord which officially put the PLO in bed with Hamas, the Palestinian branch of the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood and a terrorist organization dedicated to the annihilation of Israel and the establishment of a global caliphate. First, some upheld the deal as a cause for celebration. On Wednesday, Channel 10 senior political commentator Ravi Drucker opined that the deal may increase the chance of peace between Israel and the Palestinians ignoring the fact that the pact paves the way for Hamas's integration into the PA's U.S. trained security forces and its membership in the PLO, Raviv rapidly claimed that the villain in all of the recent developments is none other than Prime Minister, uh, Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who is destroying all chance of peace by pointing out that the Palestinians have opted for war, end of quote. In the same Jerusalem Post, Daniel Gordas deals with this year's Israelis' Independence Day observance. He writes, This year, however, that unbridled euphoria is going to be hard to come by. Israel is marginalized in ways that it would have been difficult to predict just years ago. Hamas and Fatah sign a treaty, but the international pressure for Israel to negotiate and perhaps even to capitulate continues unabated. President Barack Obama can say with impunity that America will be the relentless will be relentless in defense of our citizens, but Israeli leaders are not permitted that same unabashed determination. Osama bin Laden uh, can be summarily killed, and no one calls it an extrajudicial killing. 
Egypt threatens to open the border to Gaza. Iran pursues its weapon. Turkey jettisons Israel and cozies up to Iran. Hezbollah has completely rearmed under the nose of the UN, and the pressure to make peace is consistently applied only to the Jewish state. Consider this. There is no other country about which the following two predictions can be made with equal plausibility. The first prediction. In 50 years, Israel will be a thriving democracy at the cutting edge of technology, medicine, and education, a first world country in every way. The second prediction. In 50 years, Israel will not exist. But the second possibility is equally plausible. Increasing numbers of academics and diplomats, as well as rank-and-file Europeans, now assert that the creation of the Jewish state was a mistake. Polls show that Europeans rank Israel close to North Korea as a threat to international peace. Israel is the only country that British academics are eager to boycott. No other country's right to exist is openly debated in the pages of the New York Review of Books. It is not out of the question that the world could end Israel's Jewish character or bring it to its knees altogether. How times have changed. Today, Egyptian peace may be fraying. Jordan's King Abdullah is vulnerable. Relations with the Obama administration are strained. Iran's Mahmoud Ahmadinejad can speak at Columbia and walk the streets of New York. But Britain issues arrest warrants for Zippy Livni. Israelis wonder with whom precisely they are supposed to negotiate a deal when Hamas and Fatah become one, yet the world still holds Israel accountable for the impasse. End of quote. Besides all the above, something else has happened, and for many it has slipped by unnoticed. Again from the International Jerusalem Post, in its April 29 through May 5, 2011 issue, we find the following comments made by Caroline Glick. In deciding in favor of military intervention on the basis of a transnational legal doctrine never accepted as law by the U.S. Congress called Responsibility to Protect, President Barack Obama was reportedly swayed by the arguments of his senior national security advisor, Samantha Power. Over the past 15 years, Power has fashioned herself into a celebrity policy wonk by cultivating a public persona of herself as a woman moved by the desire to prevent genocide. In a profile of Power in the current issue of the National Journal, Jacob Hilbron explains, Power is not just an advocate for human rights, she is an outspoken crusader against genocide. Hilbron writes that Power's influence over Obama and her celebrity status has made her the leader of the new U.S. foreign policy elite. This elite, he writes, is united by a shared belief that American foreign policy must be fundamentally transformed from an obsession with national interest into a broader agenda that seeks justice for women and minorities and promotes democracy whenever and wherever it can at the point of a cruise missile, if necessary. As the prolonged slaughter in Libya and expected continued failure of the NATO mission make clear, Power and her new foreign policy elite have so far distinguished themselves mainly by their gross incompetence, end of quote. 
Samantha Power is also on record supporting the building up of the Palestinian state with billions of dollars. She also favors large contingents of non-Israeli military to be placed in Israel in order to keep the peace, if necessary. Does the prophet Daniel, when speaking of the son of perdition, the Antichrist, using the terms destroy wonderfully and by peace shall destroy many, begin to ring a bell? Do you see any corollaries between the amazing, awesome, destructive power of the U.S. military and President Obama's new foreign policy position called Responsibility to Protect? This website does not presently know who the son of perdition is or even if he is alive at this time, but platforms are being developed and telltale signs are emerging quickly, as in the days of Noah. It's beginning to rain. God said, Zechariah chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azale. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day, which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night. But it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord, and his name one. All the land shall be turned as a plain from Geba to Rimon south of Jerusalem. And it shall be lifted up and inhabited in her place from Benjamin's gate unto the place of the first gate, unto the corner gate, and from the tower of Hananiel unto the king's winepress. And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. And this shall be the plague, wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongues shall consume away in their mouth. God said, Daniel chapter eight twenty three through 25, And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the fool, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice, and shall destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. 
Man said, these doomsday prophets make me laugh. There will be no doomsday and certainly no end of the world. Now you have the record.